Welcome to another episode of Ready Teacher One. I'm Adam Mangana. And I'm Ryan McLaughlin. And with us here today is Dr. Tony Milliken, the Chief Learning Officer of Motlow State Community College. Dr. Milliken, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, absolutely. My honor to be here. You know, anytime we have the chance to talk about immersive technologies and the change that's taking place in our society and how education is a big role of that, um, there's an opportunity to talk about that. I, I'm eager to be there. That's wonderful. Dr. Milken, I actually saw that you wrote your PhD dissertation on using VR in education. Um, could you tell our listeners just a little bit about how you personally became involved in VR in education and then maybe some of the things that you found out in the process of writing that dissertation? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it started all the way back in around 1972. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> when, when you had a little four-year-old kid um, in, uh, you know, single parent kid who received one of these Fisher-Price Viewmasters um, and just fell in love with it. And so this, this young kid spent hours and hours and hours talking to grownups saying that one of these days we're going to be able to go inside this and be able to be there (laughs) and all of the different really cool things, you know, uh, space shuttles taking off and, uh, you know, what life looks like in different places and that sort of thing. So as the years moved on, I I had this in my mind that eventually we're going to be able to go into this, uh, digital space. And sure enough, um, fast forward life, you know, a couple wars later, you know, 30 something, 20 something years of military and the Air Force sent me to college to uh, get my uh, PhD and I was looking for a topic. So this this idea of going into digital space was something that I wanted to see. Is it possible yet? And sure enough, uh, Kickstarter had just uh, started on this product called the Oculus Rift Development Kit One around 2013. And so I went to eBay and got one of those things. And sure enough, when I put it on, I just knew right away, this was going to be transformational for the world of learning. So we proceeded wow. to build a lab and studied these things and studied how, what are the opportunities, challenges, and practical uses for VR in education. That's tremendous. So many of our listeners are curious, what is a chief learning officer? It, uh, it's a title that has become popular in corporate America, but, uh, you know, to, to deploy that in, in, the, uh, in the higher ed space is a really interesting title. Yeah, it's a unique title. And um, the way we've done it here at Motlow is that, you know, uh, typically at community college, you'll have your academic programs where people are working to get their associate's degrees. But then there's another department, which we call workforce development, that's really tailored toward people who already have jobs, who are out in the world of work, but uh, need to upskill, to learn something new, to have a new skill set or whatever. And so we in the chief learning officer department focus on that part of how the community college contributes to the learning of the geographic area. So all of those uh, different occupations and specialties that need training and need additional skills and that sort of thing, we focus on those. So that's the that's kind of the role that we've defined as a chief learning officer at Montlow. How, how has um, our current context coming out of the coronavirus as you look forward, how is the new landscape impacting your, your work on a regular basis? Well, you know, um, Coronavirus was a big, big disruptor, an unexpected disruptor for the world of education and training. 
Right. You know, we had to shift from um, a model, you know, a couple hundred year old model where people go to a space, a classroom where there's a learned individual there who guides them through their learning process. And it's all done bricks and mortar live. Well, we've had to shift that to the remote learning model. Remote learning, I, a lot of people refer to as distance learning, but, um, you know, really good distance learning is not just uh, sitting behind a Zoom screen and, and having a, a dialogue that way. That's Real right. distance learning is very engaging. It, it allows a person to use the principles that they're reading about and picking up in the conversations and applying those principles. And that's one of the cool things that virtual reality actually brings to the learning environment. Because when you're in a remote learning environment, you when you go into the virtual world, you actually reappear with those fellow students. You actually can join other students in virtual space and practice whatever your learning activities are, whether it be hard skills where you're learning how to do something with your hands or there's soft skills where you're learning how to interoperate with people. You can actually use the virtual space in the distance learning world. Um, and, and that's new. We've never had that before. Humankind right. has never been able to transport themselves to a different place to join other people to practice in shared skills and shared environment. And that's something we have now. Uh, with virtual reality that we that we really didn't have in years past. And I think the pandemic has pushed us more toward the desire to increase our bandwidth, uh, if you would, in the remote learning space. That's tremendous. That's been a, a common theme on our podcast for sure, is that the exciting thing about this technology in the ed space is the ed part of it. Because, you know, you go all the way back to Dewey, and we've been talking about experiential learning for 100 years. And now all of a sudden experiential learning isn't just possible, it's easy, right? Um, and you know, Adam I being in the K-12 space, we talk about things like, you know, it used to be that a really cool field trip was going to a museum, right? Well, now we can take field trips to the moon or to Mars or to China or wherever other far-flung place um, you couldn't have imagined doing five years ago even. Yeah, I really love it that you mentioned John Dewey because, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, as an educational theory uh, developer back before the 1900s, he literally got started in the late 1800s. We're talking at the early mid area of the Industrial Revolution. He was already talking about um, it shouldn't be just about learning to add and subtract and read. It right. should be learning to use those skills in the work environment. So he advocated early on to do these field trips and get students out into the factory floors where they're gonna be working when they graduate from their, from their schooling, get them out into the places where they're gonna use this knowledge. And so the use of knowledge and experience to learn uh, goes way back. It actually goes back to Aristotle and Socrates. You know, sure. All through the years, you know, this whole idea of a trade guild, you know, um, um, an apprentice model for learning, that's all experiential learning. So humankinds have been doing this from the very, very beginning, and we are programmed to be to learn from other people. Social that's learning—that's right. another. So the social cognitivist learning movement, movement that uh, took place. Uh, Bandura did a lot of studies on that. You know, so we look at all those different areas of educational theory. They all apply when it comes to using VR and for experiential learning. Absolutely tremendous. Dr. Milken, um, I'm sure you meet with skeptics about VR like Adam and I both do. Um, what do you say to folks that maybe say to you like, hey, this is just Zoom, but a little bit fancier or uh, sure, this is a cool gimmick, but, you know, come back in 20 years and, you know, education will still look the same. 
What do you say to the skeptics like that? Well, there's a couple big things that, that I'll point out to them. One is um, just the true experience of what we've already seen. Um, you take a group of students that we had there at Air University, learn some principles about how VR works, and a few other emerging technologies, and literally applied that to a real world problem. Um, the Air Force, one of our biggest, biggest challenges over the last decade is retention of pilots. We just can't okay. get enough pilots to fill the cockpits. So believe it or not, the Air Force at the very beginning decided to put this sacred process of pilot, you know, training the pipeline of pilots, put that sacred process up for analysis to see how can we apply virtual tools to that. Well, the result of that was to take what had been a 13-month program for 30, 40 years and bring it down to make it to prove that it could be done in six months. Six months versus 13 months. The number of hours of flight time added to the sure. aircraft, the amount of maintenance, all of that savings. Now that is that right there in itself is is billions long term, billions of savings long term, and and a huge advance for the country with you know training the pilots and that sort of thing. So when you see it applied in a scenario, now I would I would take I would propose that flying an airplane is not a simple task. Right, sure. Sure. <laughs> probably one of the most complex tasks that exists in the professional world, right? And so that's to say that you know over twenty to thirty years of using aircraft simulators, which are similar um, to the phenomenon that you have in virtual reality, it's been proven that it works. So if it can work for a task that's as complex and challenging as flying an airplane, it should really be considered to apply it to other tasks that are not quite as complex, perhaps, um, for an even better impact, better uh, price impact, cost, you know, the, the price of the devices has gotten down very, very low these days. So yeah. you can use simulation in fields that you hadn't used simulation in the past. And it's not that it, because it wasn't uh, viable, it was just because it was so expensive. Now that it's reasonable and, and, and less expensive, the data is there. There's plenty of uh, historical references to look to to see how VR, the right ways to apply it. There's some areas you do want to apply it, some areas it's not so good. But to identify those areas where the tool is applicable and apply it to those areas, you know, and, uh, you know, Absolutely. look for your, your return on investment there. What, uh, what percentage of your work at Motlow involves the curation of content for experiencing simulations? versus the actual creation uh, and building of these VR experiences from the ground up. And, and if there is some part that is engineering these experiences, um, what is the direction that you kind of give uh, in that regard? Well, that's, that's a great question too, because uh, we really have a three-pronged three approach. One prong is the curation part that you talked about. And what we do on that perspective is we're focused on faculty development. Um, the research we found in the dissertation, dissertation said that the number one thing you can do at the beginning of implementing a technology like this is involve the faculty. The sure. faculty members won't take to a technology that they have no familiar with. They don't want to have a tool and not look like they know what they're doing when they're in front of their classes. So faculty development, teaching faculty how to find the pieces of content. That's one of the cool things with our partnership with Labaki is Labaki has a service where they uh, have experts who are looking at all the apps that are coming out and looking at those apps with an eye for which subject matter, which um, learning standards, 
relate to that particular application. So our teachers, when, after they've been trained to curate through this, they can actually go into that database that Robotica provides and pull out the relevant content pieces that relate to their specific course, be it history, you know, to go into a battlefield and experience, uh, you know, a, a story in the life of someone in history or, you know, uh, to be there for the signing of the Declaration of Independence or physics, where they can go in and look at, look at uh, you know, physical principles at work, chemistry, looking at molecules or um, even, um, even um, music and drama where they actually perform in virtual spaces. So the curation part is a big piece. The second big piece, of course, is actual content. And so we're working with some of the big development teams. Uh, Doghead Simulations is one of them. Uh, Labaki is another again. Uh, and so the multiple teams who are, have experts already in building the top quality content. And there's more expense involved in that. And because of the, the fact that we need to pur purposefully choose those areas, you know, areas that are gonna have high impact, wide applicability to multiple different courses and because there's an initial investment is more when you build new VR content. So we're engaged in that space as well. Uh, we're working on one particular application uh, that relates to some partnerships that we have with some of the distilleries in Tennessee. Of course, Tennessee uh -huh. whiskey, a really big, there you go. You know, really big thing. And so we're working with some of our partners in that realm to put, build some educational content on spirits education which is actually pretty exciting. We're no, doing you've got my with robotics. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and the same thing with robotics. We're working with our manufacturers here at our robotics training facility. We've got ABB, Modeman, and Fanon. They're the big three in industrial robotics. We're working with them on building content where the actual robot that you learn to program is available for you in virtual space so that you don't have to go all the way to Minnesota, Tennessee to actually run a robot and to program the robot. Now, eventually you would to prove that you have that skill set, but you sure. do it in virtual space over and over and over. So you got curation, then you've got content development. Um, then the third area that Motlow is endeavoring in is in the process of building a VR content developer school. Uh, okay. We're just starting it because you know, we're still early in the process. But the whole idea of young people, even mid-career people who are interested in um, helping produce for what I call the tsunami of virtual content. VR, AR, the, the convergence, the devices that are gonna be coming out over the next year or two that allow you to do both virtual and augmented reality. Um, the demand for content is just gonna expand rapidly and there's sure. not gonna be enough developers out there to keep up with it. So Motlow is in, endeavoring to build a school that allows us to, to teach young people how to do, whether it's Unity or Unreal or whatever content development. So we wanna go, so three different areas, faculty development, great content, and then a content developer school. That's tremendous. <laughs> Dr. Milken, um, I'm a huge fan of community colleges. I was a dual enrolled student uh, when I was in high school. Um, got to see firsthand the, the tremendous work that community colleges do for their communities, as the name implies, right? Will you talk to us a little bit about the importance of a community college being a true leader in this space? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's one of my passions. You know, I'm a product of 11 years of post-secondary high, higher education. So I get it. I dig the deep dive, but I know that's not for everybody. Right. You know, uh, that's, it's not for most people. <laughs> it's definitely not. You know, doing so much digging into the books and writing and that sort of thing. That's that's not for everybody's skill sets and, and talent sets and and makeup and everything. And we get that. The vast majority of people want to learn a skill and use that skill to to do a job. 
And the interesting thing that's taking place in society is this lean toward more toward competency based um, credentials, Absolutely. a credential that says that I know how to do this particular thing, you know. And so employers are willing to pay for that. That's what employers want. Somebody who knows how to do something coming in the right. door, right? Or at least can learn additional pieces that are more relevant. And whether or not they have a degree that goes with that is not quite as relevant in a certain, you know, certain fields. And so sure. we want to provide those options. That's what we want to be able to do. We want to allow people that if they want to choose a degree program, they have that option. If they want to choose a skills development competency base program where they can have, continue to get micro credentials to their career, we want to provide that as a set of options as well. What are some of the most um, engaging, most interesting pieces of VR content that you've seen out there uh, for our listeners who are excited about it? Uh, if we could start with maybe the CGI stuff and then get into some 360 video for those yeah, who I, just want to look at some 360 video stuff. Absolutely. Um, well, there one particular platform that I'm a huge fan of, um, and um, I, I'll just use it as a word, multi-user platform, a broad phase for that. Um, Rumi is one, Engage is one, Engage is one I tend to use a little bit more because it's really focused for, for education. But to have that multi-user aspect, to allow multiple people to come into the virtual space together to learn about whatever the subject matter is. Um, I, I am a huge, huge fan and advocate of that because I believe that the best learning is done socially. When multiple people share um, understanding about a particular process or item or subject or event or point in history, whatever the lesson is, when people together engage in dialogue over that, that's when the best understanding takes place. Absolutely. So the multi-user platform is, I say, that's the number one thing that people can get into these days um, is multi-user content and engagement in that and becoming a part of a community practice a practice within the virtual space. You, you know, I actually have friends all over the world, many of whom, most of whom I've never met, uh, but we can rely on each other as colleagues in, in the virtual space. So multi-user, number one. Number two, if you want to get over into actual a subject matter area where I've seen some good compelling content, I'm a, I really like what I'm seeing going on in the medical community. And honestly, I think a part of it may be that the medical community got it early on. I mean, because medical community going back with the days of very expensive VR, you know, $100,000 per headset kind of expense. Even in that point in time, you had surgeons using VR to practice doing surgery, right? Wow. So they've been doing this for years, uh, but, it, but it was just so expensive. So between the military and medical and a little bit of Hollywood, uh, those areas that had the the investment to afford the hundred thousand to a million dollars per headset, they've been using it all along. So what happens is early on the medical community said, well, okay, what other trades can we bring into the fold of being able to use simulation as a tool to train with? So I've seen some really good stuff for EMTs, um, which is like a critical thinking um, tool. Absolutely. So and and an EMT is still going to have to learn hands-on CPR. They're still going to have to learn hands-on IVs. They're going to have to learn all of those technical things with their hands. But what's beautiful about this is that VR takes it to the next level, the higher level of learning of critical decision-making. So you do a VR app that puts you on the scene with multiple different players. And these players are um, artificially intelligent 
what we call bots or avatars. They're in that environment and they can interact with you. They can speak to you just like Siri and Alexa, that sort of thing. They have some degree of artificial intelligence. So you can tell them what part of the process to execute. So you intubate this, this patient, you uh, start chest compressions, you grab however many millimeters of milliliters of whatever I need, whatever that process is, the, the medical student can practice using those, those, pro, those protocols and checklists and that to their heart's content. I mean, hours on end, just right. like our pilots did at pilot training. You give the pilot the headset and allow them to practice as much as they want. They show up the next day, two or three lessons ahead because they wanted to use it sure, as much as they could. Sure. So there's excitement in using the tools. So yeah, medical, medical content is really good one right now. And obviously pilot aviation, those kind of things are really good, but it's, it's slowly starting to trickle into multiple different communities. And so we'll be able to plan for pretty much, you know, manufacturing, transportation, uh, you name it, all the different industries are out there. If there's a, if there's some degree of skill involved, you, you bet you can practice it inside of VR. And in time, those apps will be built. It's just a matter of time. I it hope, seems, you know. Absolutely. It seems to me like what the early adapters have in common is that they're very high risk professions, right? Uh, where there's no room to fail. You, you can't fail if you're flying an airplane. You can't fail if you're performing surgery, right? And yet, as educators, we know that failure is a huge part of the learning process, right? So it seems to me like a huge contribution that VR is making is that, that space to, to fail safely and to have a genuine learning experience like that, right? Oh, that's right. And there are so many of those different factors, just like what you just pointed out, so many different factors where VR is the right use case. For instance, if it's very, very expensive, i.e. crashing an airplane is very expensive, right? Sure. If it's very, very dangerous, which you pointed out, if it's very dangerous, if it's very expensive, um, if it's something where uh, it takes a lot of time to get a lot of people mm -hmm. in the same space, well, VR is another example. Um, if it's something where you need to feel empathy for another person's feelings, mm. VR, right? Um, any kind of feeling, you can, you can elicit inside VR, you can elicit fear, Ever try Richie's plank where you stand on the edge of that plank and you look down and it looks like yes. there's a hundred feet to fall to your death. Your heart rate raises. So you can elicit fear. You can elicit empathy. Um, Clouds over Sidra, which is a 360 video experience. that puts you in the place of a, a child in a Syrian refugee camp. Wow. You, know, um, you can experience um, joy, you know, watch Henry, that, that immersive experience to watch this little character do his thing, you know, you can experience joy, fear, anger, frustration, all of those human emotions can be elicited with this tool that we have here. Now, interestingly, educators, you never really had that tool before. <laughs> this is a first. This is, you know, so for all these different areas that VR has proven to be a really good tool, you as an educator should think about, okay, how can I take that tool and put it in and infuse my lesson with it? A little bit of fear, or a little bit of joy, or a little bit of excitement, or, you know, a manual skill, whatever it is. But yeah, look at all those factors for a while. And I would recommend reading uh, Jeremy Balenson's book, Experience on Demand. Okay. Uh, if you read that book, whether you're an educator or you're just, um, you know, a technology enthusiast or wherever your interest lies, experience on demand will, will help you assimilate how these tools are going to fit into the, to educating for the future. I say educating, but education and training, Absolutely. education, training, and of course, entertainment, that's where it was initially born. But it, I think personally, 
the shift long term is going to be more toward education and training content because there's just so much of it that's going to be needed. That makes perfect sense. Dr. Milliken, we like to uh, end with a segment that we call the Furious Five. And the idea of the Furious Five is just five questions that don't necessarily have anything to do with what we've been talking about today. More sure. just kind of get to know you type questions, but uh, we encourage rapid fire answers, like one or two sentences. We may have some comments to interject, but uh, just for fun here. So the first question on the Furious Five, what's the best movie or TV show that you've watched recently? Um, I li I've recently been watching Nashville with my wife. Okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we live we live here in Tennessee, and uh, love love music, you know, of all genres. And Nashville is a pretty good. One. It's, it's there you go. What's the best meal that you've eaten recently? Oh boy! Last night I grabbed. Uh, I'm a foodie, so normally I wouldn't nice. go for something that's off the shelf. But I, we grabbed some of the new croissant crust pizza. From DiGiorno. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yeah. Like Normally we make our own. We're real, we're foodies around here, but but I saw that. And I, said, we I don't think I've seen that in the grocery stores around here yet. <laughs> it's literally brand. We had to search for it. It's, it's a natural thing. There you go. There you go. Tennessee thing. Uh, if you were stuck on a desert island with one piece of technology, what would it be and why? Oh, and obviously a power source too. Ah, yeah, power source. Yeah, I would I would have to say uh, my Quest Two, my Oculus Quest Two. <laughs> if I had two, I'd probably want to have my drone too. So yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Who is a thought leader that you think all of our listeners should stop what they're doing and go follow them on social media, go buy their book, whatever, immediately? Okay, I already mentioned once, but I'm gonna go ahead and throw two out there. Jeremy Valenson, Experience and On Demand. Um, and then there's also Peter Rubin, Future Presence. He's the editor of Wired Magazine. And then Tom Furness is the grandfather of virtual reality. If you, if you haven't gotten to know Tom Furness, he was the founder of the Human Technology Interface Lab or Human Interface Technology Lab, Hit Lab up at Washington State. Also the creator of the Air Force Super Cockpit back in the 80s. Wow. The grandfather of virtual reality, Tom Furness. Tom Furness, Very got it. Cool. The last question of the Furious Five, we like to call the contrarian question. It's really Adam's question, so I'm going to let him ask it. <laughs> Go for it. What do you know to be true about virtual reality that other chief learning officers would disagree with you on? True about VR that other CLOs would disagree. Um, I would have to say that it is much less expensive than people think, right? Most CLOs will go in and say, oh, I've got to develop all this content and that's all very expensive. And so I'm gonna to have to spend a million dollars just to get started. And I think they're wrong on that because I've found that the commercial off the shelf content that's already out there for very, very cheap can be adapted in a lot of ways to be applicable and so you can enter into a virtual reality uh, program for a much less um, investment than you would ever imagine. La last question, and we'll just wrap up. Um, who will be the first to make a billion dollars off of virtual reality? Oh, fascinating mm -hmm. question. The first to make a billion dollars off of virtual reality. Um, hmm. 
it'll have to right now i'm the way things look i'm, I'm thinking it'll probably be facebook as much as i hate to say that <laughs> just because they bought oculus if oculus had stayed you know uh you know individual i think it would have been out but i really did i just it seems like the devices just keep getting better yeah. Um, I guess Oculus did make a billion dollars. Oh, there you go. Well, there <laughs> you go. go. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Dr. Milken, right. where can our listeners find you on social media? On social media, um, I'm on LinkedIn, Tony Chuck Milliken. Uh, also on Facebook, Tony Chuck Milliken. And uh, I, I look at LinkedIn a lot more than I look at Facebook. Fair enough. <laughs> it just seems to be more Fair interesting stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Dr. Milliken, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, we can't thank you enough. Hey, I, and I want to thank you guys too. And, and I just want to huge accolades for you guys being pioneers. I know down there in Jackson, Mississippi, you know, having the, one of the first ever VR labs for a, for a, a K-12 kind of school is a pretty awesome thing. And I know it got the attention of a lot of folks here. <laughs> That's right. But, um, but you guys doing this podcast and helping get the word out because, uh, you know, VR is a very, very different phenomenon. It's not like just picking up a, a new cell phone or whatever. There are unique things about VR and the more you can learn about it and the more you play with it, the more you experience it, the more you like it, the more you realize that it is really transformational. So thank you guys for, for helping get the word out. Thank you so much. Thank you.